0: Amen. Amen. Born that man no more may die. That is the essence of the beauty of Jesus being incarnated in the flesh, Um, that, that, that God is with us, but also that he came to save us from our sins. And so that's the beautiful reality of this holiday season as we as we get ready to enjoy the festivities and, and the gifts and the great food and all of that stuff, but but that is the the reason, as you know, the old Kurt Franklin song used to say, the reason for the season, Amen. Um, uh, just a just a, a couple of things before we get started. Um, if you guys can keep uh, Pastor Pastor Mason and his family in your prayers, uh, he's on vacation the next couple of weeks. Um, just continue to keep his family lifted that they might rest well over this holiday season uh, his family and himself they sacrifice so much for us as a church as a body uh, if you guys could look at his schedule and see what he does and has to go through uh, and so the Lord has definitely given us a gift here uh, and a pastor so be prayerful for him amen amen um, also pastor Larry uh, pastor Larry was supposed to be preaching this morning uh, and he uh, gave me a call yesterday afternoon or yesterday evening and, and, and fell sick with some flu-like symptoms. Um, and he said, can you pinch hit for me? And, and so I said yes. Uh, and the minute I sat down and began to prepare, I began not feeling well myself. <laughs> so uh, if you can, pray for Pastor Larry and, and pray for me as well as we, as we stand up here. Uh, so that being said, today unfortunately won't be the typical ceremonial Christmas sermon uh, but a word from the Lord nonetheless, amen, uh, so if you, if you will, uh, let's stand and open our Bibles to Proverbs chapter 19, uh, Proverbs chapter 19, verses 2 and 3, Proverbs chapter 19, verses 2 and 3, and I won't be long this morning, I promise this time. When you dare to just say amen. 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 Let's go ahead and, and read together. Desire without knowledge is not good, and whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. When a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. Let's look at verse 10 as well. It is not fitting for a fool to live in luxury, much less for a slave to rule over princes, if you will. The title of our message today is Ruined by Blind Haste, Ruined by Blind Haste. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for this opportunity to gather once again uh, as a group of people who stand in awe and stand in appreciation for the great work of salvation that you accomplished on the cross, Uh, and that would not have been possible had you not, in all of your majesty and infinite wisdom and grace uh, wrapped yourself in flesh. Uh, You, all uh, the characteristics and all of the attributes of God were wrapped up in human form so that you might live the perfect life and die a perfect death on our behalf. And so we stand here making the excuse every Sunday to come and worship you because of it. Uh, And so we pray, God, that you would glorify yourself today uh, as we seek uh, to hear from you. Uh, so we pray all that in Christ's name, Amen. Amen, Amen. You may be seated, Amen. I was wrestling between a, a couple of different sermons this morning to share with you, and uh, I was reminded of Proverbs uh, chapter nineteen uh, after having read it some months ago. And uh, the first time I read it, uh, it—I mean, it—it it basically Mike Tyson punched me uh, and almost sent me on the floor. Um, because of how how much it had impacted my personal life when I looked at this particular passage. Uh, one of the things I love about the book of Proverbs as a whole is that um, regardless of what you're, uh, you're trying to seek in terms of wisdom or entire, in terms of direction, uh, you can get from the word of God, but even in a practical sense, you can get from the book of Proverbs, uh, whether you're trying to uh, find out uh how, how God wants you to steward money whether it be uh, getting rid of debt uh, whether you're trying to f- figure out what it looks like to be a godly husband or a godly wife or just a godly person uh, what it looks like uh, when you when 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 you have to determine what kind of friends you're gonna have. Uh, when it, it it even tells you when you know that you've stayed too long at somebody's house and overstayed your welcome. Like w- w- we can get to the grits and grime of proverbs because it it talks about pretty much everything and gives a lot of practical instruction and step by step directives that says uh, uh, if you if you heed this wisdom then it will go well with you, yeah. Yeah. right. Uh, now, the book of Proverbs, it's not, it's not based on divine guarantees or promises that if you always do this, uh, this will always happen. However, the principle is that generally if you engage in this type of behavior, then it will go well with you. And the beauty of this, the common ground of this is that it doesn't just apply for believers because um, you don't have to have trusted in Jesus to use plain old wisdom. Um, and so the book of Proverbs is a, is a true help for me and a benefit for me, and I just love its richness in practical uh, instruction. And before we jump into to verse two, uh, just a little background on the book of Proverbs. If we could summarize this book in one verse, you would find it in, in chapter one, verse seven, which says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? <laughs> of wisdom, the, the, the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord being that, that, that proper respect for who God is, right, is the beginning of uh, wisdom, is the reset or the start of wisdom. And, and what that means is that, that whatever you're trying to think or, or what, if the way that you think about anything and everything must start with God, right? Meaning that God, in his infinite wisdom, when he created everything, he gave purpose to everything, he gave a specific purpose to everything, which means that when you go and try to utilize something that God has given purpose to, it has to be used in the way in which it was intended to be used, right? So we can look at the scriptures and say, uh, when we're trying to uh, exegete the scriptures and get understanding from the word of god when we look at a particular passage it can't mean something different than what it meant when the original author wrote it to the original group of people that he meant it to that he wrote it to right in the same way when god created marriage he gave a specific purpose for marriage when he created parenting He gave a specific purpose for parenting. When he created government, he gave a specific purpose for government. So when you go to utilize the very things that God created, it has to align with the original purpose that he intended it to have. And the only way that that can happen is if you go back to the fear of the Lord, which means not only must you have a proper respect for the personhood and the character of God, but you have to confirm in your mind that your way of doing things and the way that you think about things, oh God, is better than mine. And the the moment that you accept that the way God wants things to be done is the way that they should be done, that's the minute that you can begin to live life in the fear of the Lord. Now, the other half of that verse is, but fools despise wisdom and instruction right? And that word despise means to hold in contempt, to belittle or to ridicule. Uh, and there's three types of fools that the, the book of Proverbs typically, uh, typically narrates on, right? So there's the, the one fool is characterized by a dull and a closed mind. He is thick-headed and stubborn, right? The other word for the fool is Nabal. There's actually a character in the Bible whose name is Nabal, which means fool, right? Uh, and it, it, it's referred to the one who lacks pure spiritual perception. And then the last one, the last kind of fool is arrogant and flippant as well as mentally dull and hardened in his ways, right? And so when we look at the book of Proverbs, we typically see uh, the theme of the wise man versus the fool or wisdom versus uh, folly. And so that's where we find ourselves in Proverbs Chapter 19 is this idea of when it comes to making decisions, when it comes to making godly, wise decisions, will you be the fool or will you use wisdom? And what does it look like? Uh, Because if you're not aware already, you make hundreds if not thousands of decisions on a daily basis. Some of them are so small that you don't even realize that you're making a decision at the time and others are quite big that they can drastically change your life in but a moment. But the Bible requires that we make wise decisions because it honors God and it saves us from ourselves, right? So let's let's look at this, verse two. Desire without knowledge is not good. Now that word desire means more than just to long for or to ask for or to, to demand. Uh, in Hebrew psychology, the, the whole person, the whole personality was involved uh, in desire. So, so um, if, if the whole person was inclined to a desire uh, and it was towards sin, then it easily could become covetousness. Envy, jealousy, etc. All of those things. So it wasn't just the mental capacity of you wanting something. It meant that your soul, your heart, every part of your being, your will, emotions, and all of that stuff was inclined for a specific desire. Right? That that means so it's not just a mental aspect, it's the all of all of your being wants something. All of your being wants something. And when it's towards sin, the, the Bible characterizes that in a, in a phrase that literally says, lusting a lust. That's how strong the phrase is. So it's not just merely lusting. I mean, you know that already to be wrong. But the Bible characterizes that sort of strong desire as lusting a lust. It's, the, it's, it's, it's a strong craving, the sort that the, the, the Israelites had in Hebrews chapter 11 uh, when God was providing for them manna from heaven. Uh, and they began to say after a time, they began to have a strong craving against God and they called out to him and they said, I remember God when we were in Egypt and we had melons and leeks and we could fry fish and we could, we, could, we could put together any type of things that we wanted and we got it for free. And God is like, but you were in slavery and they're like, I know, but the food was good, and it was free. <laughs> right? And the Bible says that that's a strong craving. Now, what, is that, what does that say about the word desire, especially in this context and in that context? It, it, says, it says that when you have this type of craving, when you have this type of desire that knows no bounds and self-control is not even present, it's, it basically says that you would rather enjoy slavery than trust God. And so what it boils down to is a providence issue. Do you trust that God will take care of you? Or do you have to go get it on your own? So it says desire without knowledge is not good. There's a there's a there's a there's a rashness in this desire that says I I I have some good ideas. And I know what I want the end goal to look like, but I'm, because these desires are so strong, I'm unwilling to wait to plan or think ahead, so I'm just going to move in a direction and hope I get to what I want it to look like. And so what happens is we stamp God's name of approval on it, one, so we can validate and confirm ourselves, but two, so that we can keep other people away from really looking at it and asking us questions. And then we can just go about our business. And so we use a lot of biblical terms, a lot of biblical ideas, and we come up with these grand ideas, these grand ideas and desires that in and of themselves may not be bad. But because we're so rash and so impatient and our desires and cravings are so strong to get what we want, the Bible says we bring our way to ruin. So this idea of, Making haste with your feet refers to an impulsive person who unwisely acts before thinking or planning the right way. He has a desire to get somewhere but does not have sufficient knowledge to reach his goal. Desire without knowledge is not good. Haste, rash or headlong action, undue eagerness to act, precipitousness, headlong, abrupt, impetuous, showing undue haste or unexpectedness. It stresses a lack of due deliberation and implies prematureness of action. It stresses a rashness and lack of forethought. It stresses curtness and a lack of warning or ceremony, and it stresses extreme impatience or impulsiveness. By contrast, Proverbs 21.5 says the plans of the diligent leads surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. There's there's something gravely important about the daily decisions that you make. I'll give you an example, I'll be a little transparent. When I first graduated from high school, um, I I I, I grew up in New Jersey, I hated New Jersey. Most people who come from New Jersey hate New Jersey. (laughs) If you're from New Jersey, you know what I mean. I'm sorry, (laughs) sorry, sorry, I'm sorry, Greg. But it's true, you know it's true, you can't even deny it. If you could pick any place to live, it would be outside of New Jersey. But, but I grew up in New Jersey, I was just ready to get, I was ready to leave, I was ready to go, get away, and so uh, I picked a school down in Virginia uh, that was just far away I could get a scholarship to, and I went down there and I wilded out. I think the highest grade I might have had was a D in, 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 in the classes. Um, and so after a while, I decided to leave the college, not even because of the grades, but because they wouldn't let us watch right at our movies. And so I left the college, I came back up here. Um, I, went to, I went to, why are y'all laughing at me? I, I went to community college for a little bit. That was even worse because I saw all my friends from high school there. And what ended up happening was we did the same things that we did in high school, which was cut class. And so I think the highest grade I got in community class, a uh, community college for about a year and a half, was an F. Most of them were incomplete because I wasn't in class. I couldn't even get an F. (laughs) And and so from there, I decided, you know what? School's not for me. I'm not going to do this. And so I just worked. I worked for about two and a half, almost three years, um, didn't save any money, didn't care about saving money. I just, I made money and I spent money. That's just how it worked. I, I ended up, right before I got married, my wife challenged me. She said, you need to go back to school. So I said, uh, but I went back to school. Grades was okay. Grades was okay. We started to have a family, right? So what, what am I getting to? Uh, because of my lack of decision-making in my life early on, it created a ripple effect. And so now I'm married with a wife with two young children and one on the way, and I'm still trying to complete college. If you don't know what it's like to be married and have kids and still be trying to finish school... I don't even know if I have words to properly explain what that's like. Now, it's not just about finishing school because I haven't finished school and what, that, what happens now is because you haven't finished school, you are limited in what you can do for work. Now, as a husband, when you're limited at what you can do for work, you either have to stay at a job that's paying you less because it gives you benefits. That's what happened to me. I was at a job that I hated, but I couldn't leave because I had been there for a while and I had benefits that my family desperately needed, but I still couldn't go anywhere else because I wasn't qualified because of the poor decisions I had made in my life regarding school. And so now what I've created is because of my poor decision-making and my, and my hasty feet to not stay settled somewhere is my family is now financially struggling. And then you get the chance to Christianize it And wait for the Lord to supply your needs. (laughs) When the truth is, the Lord wouldn't need to supply your needs if you would have took care of your business in the first place. I mean, we can stay on the finances. When I first graduated, first thing, parents told me, don't get a credit card. They didn't tell me why. They said, don't get a credit card. What did I do? I went and got a credit card. What What did I do the minute I got a credit card? I maxed it out. Did I care about paying it back? No. What happened? Credit card went to default. Went to collections. I bought a car. My mom was like, are you sure you can handle car payment? I was like, yeah, I got this. What happened? Got a car. Had it for a couple years. What happened? Got repoed. Let's be honest. This This is what we've done. So now what's happened? I've created a culture in my life of making poor decisions. So even when I want to make good decisions, I typically don't. Desire without knowledge is not good. Desire without knowledge is is good. But, but here, here's the And so what happens is we, I'm going to get ahead of myself. Let's go to verse 3 real quick and we'll come back to that. Verse 3. So so we've got desire without knowledge isn't good. Whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. When a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. So now you've made a bunch of poor decisions. And through the ripple effects of your life, you've gotten to where life is now and you're not satisfied with where life is now because life now isn't what you thought what life would be like before you made all those terrible decisions. And now all you seem to do is reflect your anger towards God and say, why, God, why do you have me here? What are you doing with me? Why do I have to go through this stuff? And, and to be honest with you, you're asking the wrong questions. You're asking the wrong questions. See, we're, we're asking why God is doing this to us. And we're asking, God, why are you making me go through this? When the, the, the answer to that is uh, God, God does care about you, but he's not making you go any, through anything. You brought this on yourself. Yeah. Point two to that, that is, that's exactly why he can't trust you with anything of value. What, what do I mean by that? God wants to give you good things. When you, hear, when you hear Jesus talk, when you hear about, typically when the Bible talks, it talks about a lot of blessing passages. The, the health, wealth, and prosperity will, will throw, all, throw out all the blessing passages. There's a lot of blessing passages. Now, they, they jack it up exegetically, but there's a lot of blessing passages. However, the reason why you can't get a blessing is because God doesn't trust you with it. If you've made poor decisions in your finances over the course of your life why is he going to give you more money if if you're selfish in your character and you're lazy why is he going to give you a wife so you can ruin her the, 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 there's a reason why a lot of your relationships with guys don't work because you always pick the wrong guys But the, the, we have to be careful of looking at our lives and ignoring all the details of the terrible mistakes we've made and begin to blame God. It, God didn't bring you here. Sometimes he does, and we'll get to that in a second. But the majority of times it's because we've consistently made poor decisions in our lives. That's why James chapter 1 says... Uh, one, verse 13, 15, let me get there. It says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. 14, each person is tempted when he is Lord, enticed by his own desires. Then those desires, when has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death, right? Look at verse 10 real quick before we go on. It says, it is not fitting for a fool to live in luxury, much less for a slave to rule over princes. Basically, what it's saying is it's not appropriate. It's not appropriate. Proverbs 26.1 says, like snow in summer or rain in harvest, so honor is not fitting for a fool, which means it makes no sense for it to snow in the summertime. If it snowed in August, we would be thinking the end of the world really was here. It's the same thing when a fool gets a bunch of luxury and money. Like, yo, the end of the world's about that. Why do they have that? That's why you see a lot of these athletes running through money. Millions of dollars one day broke the next. Because they it's it's inappropriate for them to have that. Why? It's not because it's not because merely that it's just them and their person, it's because they're a fool. And they don't know what to do with it. And so for us, the question is, if God was going to give you what you really wanted him to give you, what would you do with it? Can, 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 he, tr- can he trust you to give you some of that stuff that you've been praying to him for? This, I mean, this is what the Bible is talking about. But but don't be fooled. God wants to give you stuff. He wants to give you responsibilities. He wants to give you more of that stuff so you can utilize it for his glory and for his kingdom. Listen, listen. Matthew 25. Parable of the talents, right? Parable of the talents. There's three guys. One of them, the master says, the master says, I'm gonna give you five talents. The other he gives two to. The other he gives one to. Master goes away. He said, I'm, I'm going to give you the talents. Uh, he gave each of them according to uh, what they could handle, uh, and then he left and said, I'll be back. Doesn't, I don't know when I'm coming back, but I'll be back. Um, and so he comes back. The one who had the five doubled it and said, here, master, I, I've doubled what you gave me. The one that had two doubled his and said, here, master, I've doubled what you gave me. He said, well done, good and faithful f- servant. You've been faithful over little. I'm going to give you much. The one who had one came to and said, here, I knew you was a hard man. I just want to make sure I gave you back what you gave me. And so he gave him the one. And then the master says, oh, you wicked and lazy servant. Depart from me. The principle of that is that when God gives us things to steward over, he expects to get a return on them. Which means you can't sit on what God has given you just for you. Because it's not about you. It's never been about you. But, but so, so this comes down to stewardship. If, if God expects a return... And he's, and he's given them major responsibility, which he is because if, if you know what a talent is, a talent is basically 6,000 denarii, which a, a denarii is about a day's wage. So the one he gave five talents to was between ten and $12,000. The one he gave four, four talents to was between uh, four and $5,000. And the one still had a couple thousand dollars. That's like somebody giving you $10,000 and saying, Here, I'm going away. I don't know when I'm going to be back. That's a lot of money. So he's given them a lot of responsibility, but he says, he, he's, he says, I need you to do something with it. When I come back, what have you done with what I gave you? See, this, this, like, like this guy, he was, he was so afraid of losing it. It was either two things. Either he was afraid of losing it and not being able to give back what God originally gave him, which means he jacked it up because of poor decisions, <laughs> or he was assuming that the master would never come back and he could utilize it for his own purposes, and so the, quest, the question has to be, when, when it comes time to make decisions, whether big or small, like where are you mentally at and how have you rigged your life to make them for the honor and glory of God? Are you always quick and excited to make decisions? You come up with a good idea, you start talking to somebody, y'all get real hype, real excited, and then y'all just move. No direction, no planning, no nothing. And then when it doesn't work out, you have another quick idea so you can keep moving. And all you do is keep moving back and forth from idea to idea to idea to idea to idea to idea to idea. idea. Nothing's getting done and your life is in shambles. What I want to do real quick is just give 10 principles for making godly decisions. 10 principles for making godly decisions and then I'm out of your way. One. Do these decisions glorify God? Does this behavior or practice bring glory to God, or would it dishonor God? It has to start with him. Number two, loving others. How would this behavior or practice affect others? Mind you, I just, I just shared with you that for me, I got out of high school. Like I, I knew my wife back then. Me and my wife went to high school together. Wasn't interested in dating her or marrying her, but yet this affected her years later. It affected my kids years later. Even when you're making decisions presumably for yourself, a lot of times they will have impact, both directly and indirectly, both now and later for people outside of you. But we don't think about that. Three, eliminating excess. Will this hinder me in living an effective Christian life? What do I mean by that? A lot of times we add things to our lives that draw our attention away from core and vital issues that we need to be attending to. And we get so busy doing everything that we really end up doing nothing. Attaining excellence, is this activity, it's number four, attaining excellence, is this activity useful toward my Christian growth? It may not be wrong, but is it really useful and profitable? Is this activity the best use of my time? Which means it's, we, we got to start to go beyond being good at a bunch of little things and be great at a few things. Right? Again, that kind of correlates with that eliminating excess. Five, avoiding improper relationships. Am I entering into a relationship that could cause me to commit myself to believe or practice something that is unscriptural? Will this association bring wrong influences in my life? Sometimes you just got to cut people out your life. I don't care how close you think they are to you. Some of y'all are allowing death to consider to to kill you. You let people hate all they want to. Sometimes you need to just move on in love and in Jesus' name. I love you, but I can't rock with you right now. Some of y'all are afraid to say that to some people. Some of y'all are afraid to say that to some people. Keeping a clear conscience. Number six, is what I am doing bothering my conscience in its current condition? Is what I am doing bothering my conscience in its current condition? Number seven, aiming at Christ likeness. Is this consistent with all that I know about Jesus Christ? Just a few more. Eight, maintaining purity. Will this activity become a source for sin? Am I allowing myself to be vulnerable to temptation? See, one of the things that one of the mistakes we make is a lot of times, a lot of times you try to act like you forget what your weaknesses are. <laughs> and you trust yourself too much to be strong to not succumb to a temptation that you know good and well gets you every other time. Why go into a, a, a Coliseum Stadium and fight a lion if you can just walk past the building? <laughs> Common sense. Look, I'm about to free somebody right now. I'm about to free somebody. It doesn't make you more Christian to simply walk by the building. I mean, to, to go in and fight the lion. You're not more Christian, you're not more heroic for going in and trying to face your temptation. Matter of fact, you're a fool. Number nine, prioritizing the gospel. Will this activity hinder or help my effectiveness as a witness for Christ? And lastly, listening to leadership. Is what I am doing in conflict with the membership or service covenants of my church Am I respecting the leadership and seeking guidance from them? The key to using these principles is personal honesty and humility. Personal honesty. Personal honesty. That's the biggest one, personal honesty. Because most times you're not honest with yourself. And what happens is when you have those desires, you're the only one who will affirm them and move in moving a particular direction. And that's why you never ask anybody else's opinion. Because you know that your 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 desires have holes in them, and so to keep from people like telling you that they don't agree, you just keep it to yourself. That's why God's given us the body of Christ. That's the purpose of community, because we we we've all got blind spots, right? If you're honest with yourself, we're, you're wise in your, eye, your own eyes all the time. I have to repent for my wife often because I, I, I tell her all the time. I say, listen, I think my opinion is so right that I believe it as fact. And it gets me in trouble a lot of times. But unfortunately, that's how highly I think of myself. I'm, just, I'm being honest. Y'all can, y'all can try to fake it till you make it all you want to. But I know I ain't the only one in here. I remember, listen, I remember one time we were coming back from a movie, and we were talking about the movie. And this is, this is when, I, when I realized that I was, I was sick in the head. We were, we, were talk, we were talking about the movie, and I got upset because she didn't see the movie how I saw the movie. And I'm like, that doesn't make sense, though, because this and this and that and that and blah, blah, blah. And, and it started to hit me like, yo, you are an arrogant dude. But that's what happens. Personal honesty. God knows your heart, he does. But stop using that as an excuse. We use that too often as an excuse for your best intentions. Stop talking about what you intended to do and let's talk about what you actually did. All right, I'm going to share two verses with us and then uh, four, and then I'm going to get out of the way. Proverbs 3, 5, and 7. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. And last but not least, 2 Corinthians 5, 9, and 10. So we make it our goal to please him whether we are at home, in the body, or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. We make it our goal to please him. If you've ever watched the NFL draft, usually like the the month prior to the draft, probably every day for 24 hours a day, up until the draft, they do uh, player analysis and profiles, and they give you all this information on every player, background information, all this different type of stuff. And and often what you find is there's one guy who may have a lot of talent, but they say that, they, that he, he slips down lower in the draft because sometimes he takes plays off. And what happens is because football is such a game of inches, you don't want to risk the chance of taking a player who might take plays off, because if he takes a play off at the wrong time, he may cost your team the game. And so for us as believers, that's why it says says we make it our goal to please him, not just sometimes, but all the time. And too often in our Christian lives, we are content with taking plays off. And the more plays that you take off, the further away from the goal line you get. So we've, gotta, we've got to mentally prepare in our minds to, 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 to be present when we're making decisions, to check our hearts, to, to check our desires and our plans against other people and allow people into our lives to help us work through that type of stuff so that we can get to a place where we're saying, Lord, we 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 don't want to take plays off. I want to please you in all of my decisions. It will, it'll set you up to win. It'll set you up to win. And believe me when I tell you that's what he wants for you. That's what he wants for you. God wants you to, to make good decisions so he can trust you with more stuff. He's a God who gives good gifts. He gives good gifts. That's the whole reason we celebrate this Christmas season, because he gave an ultimate gift in Jesus. But he gives good gifts and he wants you to have it. But he also wants to trust you. Does he trust you with it? Don't be the person that he gives it to, even though he doesn't trust you with it, just so you can find out how much you didn't need to have it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for your wisdom. We thank you for your grace. Even when we make poor decisions, God, you are a God who's still there. You don't leave or forsake us. Um, You don't hold it against us. You continue to give us chances and another try. But, God, I pray that we would really be impacted by a great need to honor you in how we make decisions, a great need to not be okay with our lives being in ruin. So God, help us, Lord. Help us to see the beauty of your way. Help us to see the perfection of your ways. Help us to see the truth of your ways. Help us to see how your ways will really give us freedom in many different areas, whether it be relationships, finances, education, spiritual life. God, your ways are always good, and they're always right. And I pray that our lives will be aligned to, that, to the beauty of that reality. So Lord, bless your people uh, as we uh, get ready to leave here today and, and to enjoy the festivities of life and the holiday season. But allow us, even as we move forward, to remember how you want to give us good things. May we be proven worthy of a a, a, a reputable uh, track record of making good decisions, making wise choices, and honoring you in all that we do. And so we thank you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.